I realised this week I'm getting old. Um, I, I know some of you are like, oh, I've had a birthday and I'm, yeah, I know I'm 34. But um, a young little um, rapscallion in, um, in our congregation, Bennett, had a birthday this week. And we went down to the, um, the duck pond and we had a bit of a barbecue and just hung out. And um, uh, Bennett brought down his cricket set, um, thinking, you know, we'll have a bit of an Aussie game of cricket. No worries. So we get out there, and I'm like, you little rip, I haven't played cricket in ages. This is going to be awesome. So we start playing a game of cricket, and everyone's playing, and it's all fun. And I go, oh, I'll give it a go. I'll have a bowl. I'll, I'll have a bowl. So, yeah, you getting where this comes from? I, I get the ball, and I'm starting to bowl, and I'm like, yeah, this is good. Yeah, this is good fun. And I go, I wonder if I've got the old heat in the arm. I wonder if I've got a bit of pace on me, you know? Like, I don't know whether you've ever done this before. And you just start to see if you could roll it in a bit harder. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've still got a little bit of it. Um, and that night, you know, I went to sleep. And the next day I woke up and I had this really sore back. <laughs> and I wasn't sure why. And I'm like, oh, maybe I just slept wrong. And I kept going through the day and I'm like, oh, it's really getting actually worse. And then I realised, oh, I was bowling a cricket ball. And I think I pulled a muscle I didn't even realise I had. Man, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. And I'm feeling all the strains and I've been sort of hobbling into the car and, and stuff. But um, I'm realising I'm getting a bit old. I'm moving on in. Yeah, I know, Paul. It's sad news, isn't it? Um, but it's causing me to be a little bit reflective. I'm not the young whippersnapper I used to be, like young Bennett is. I'm, I'm reaching the middle of the road. Um, 34, it's pretty close to 40, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Mate, I'm getting there. Um, yeah, is that the middle of the road and then it's downhill from there? Or maybe it's all uphill to glory. Hallelujah. I don't know. Um, but uh, I started to contemplate about my life and looking back on my life, just looking at the way that God has had his fingers in my life the whole time. His fingerprints have been moving and shaping me and leading me over the last 34 years. I was just a young little um, um, pheasant from Bankstown who um, used to love just causing a muck, running a muck. Yeah, I had ADD the whole time. I drove my mother insane. Just ask her, she'll tell you. Absolutely, she just doesn't stop telling me. Now I'm 34. You were so... Anyway, um, I loved it. I loved running around. I loved soccer. Whenever you wanted to find me, I was up a tree, climbing trees all the time. I was throwing things at people, going mental. My favourite subject at school was lunch. Um, and I used to love going to lunch and kicking soccer balls around. And uh, I loved it, loved it. And, and then I saw that um, my mother, who took me to a playtime or a playgroup, um, she was friends with these ladies and over a time she continued to be friends with these ladies and when I was in grade four in primary school she got invited to go to church and she actually went. Now, I don't know how many times you've had to invite people to maybe come to an event or come to church but it took five years of prodding from these ladies before my mum went to church. That's a long time, isn't it? But it's commitment, Okay. Mum went along to church, she got radically saved, fell in love with Jesus, and then she dragged me and my brother along, and we were not radically saved, we were radically ratbags. 
And, and it, I hated it. I hated church. I hated going to church. I thought there were so many other things I could be doing. I'd always make the excuse of going to the toilet and I'd go outside and I'd run away. And um, I'd go and hang out in the trees and then they'd go, oh, I just thought we would come out here and play naive and run up the bell tower and all that sort of stuff. Um, hated it. And then mum was, um, decided she wasn't going to make us go anymore because we were being too, too um, rat baggy. And, um, and then um, this youth pastor from a church around the corner in Chester Hill came and knocked on our front door and said, would you be interested in sending your children to our youth group? And mum said, you bet I am. So from that day on, mum made us go to youth group and she actually changed churches to the one around the corner so that we could maybe find faith. So we went to a youth group and while we were going to this youth group in Bankstown in Chester Hill, I mean, there were drug dealers going to the youth group. There were, it was crazy, this youth group. It was full on. Um, but I thought that's just what Aussies did because where I was, it was very ethnic and very cultured and I sort of went, all oh, Aussies seem to be here and if I want to find a chick... They're probably going to be over here if they're an Aussie chink. I'm flirt to convert. I was, I was there. Um, I just went along and, and sort of joined in with the stuff. And then they had a few camps and things. And I went, all right, I'll, that sounds like good fun. And went on a camp at Foster. And that's when everything sort of hit for me. All the pictures in the puzzle kind of made sense. And I could see the picture. And I'm like, oh, God is real. And I think God is real. And I've got to make a decision. Am I going to fluff around with this stuff and just play games and run amok or am I serious about this? And a guy challenged me. He said, look, this stuff isn't, isn't just stuff to muck around with. This is the rest of your life. And so I actually made a decision to follow Christ at Camp Elam in Foster. I was in the middle of a lake and, and I was walking through this lake with this guy and then he just left me there. He goes, you've got to do business with God. And I went, all right, Lord... If you're, I believe you're real, I want to follow you. And I jumped in the water and came out and so I went, all right, awesome, I'll, I'll give this a go. I thought you meant to baptise yourself, so I jumped in and, and I'm there in my clothes in the water and I'm looking up at the stars and I saw, saw a shooting star. So cute. Anyway, for me it was precious. It's really precious. But from then on, I discovered it's not just um, being a Christian isn't just saying, okay God, I'll give you a go. He's got a journey for us. He's got some more for us. And by his grace, he's led me with his cords of kindness, even despite myself, into some amazing things. I, I know when I was 18, I was on the edge of Burma um, with just one other lady having my camera stolen, being um, held up. And, but then I was running this, this thing for missionary kids. And it was amazing. And I'm like, wow, I never thought I'd be here. And then um, God led me to the Shire of all places, Cronulla. But hey, a Bankstown boy in Cronulla, whatever. Um, yeah, I was there for eight years. And God, by his grace, allowed us to have our first child down there. And and have a supporting family and a nurturing discipleship relationship. And it was great. And then that wasn't enough. We kind of felt the urging to work with more people that were kids who were at risk. Um, and so we sort of were looking around and praying around and we, did, we felt like the shy was a bit too comfortable, especially for us. And we kind of wanted to push into deeper water for ourselves. Um, and the Lord led us to Katoomba. And I didn't have a job. Um, uh, but we just moved to Katoomba five years ago and we just said the Lord wants us to work with young people. So 
that's what we did. And by God's grace, we got a grant from the Church of Christ and I was able to employ us and work through the church and started a youth group and had a whole lot of fun over there and then got into the schools and then His grace, He led us to become chaplain at at MCC and led us to a day a week here and I'm working three jobs for a year and it was just mental and then and then the church here, Bob Dennis was leaving and then people were going, well, why don't you apply for the job? And I'm like, no, nah, no way. I don't, don't you remember my first sermon in this place? No, I don't want to be a minister. I don't want to be a lead pastor. There's no chance. But God turned our hearts around in six months and we said, okay, Lord, if you're in this, we'll give it a go. And that's why I'm here. It's been God's fingerprints on my life that have led me to this point. And I don't know what he's got in the future. But I just want to thank God that he's been there in the past and that right now he's shaping me. I realised in the scriptures the different characters that we go to are not characters and sometimes we preach stories as if they're one-off events detached from people's lives. But there's journeys for different characters through the Bible. I mean, look at Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, you know what? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you with the land and all peoples are going to be blessed because of you and you're going to be the father of nations. And he's what? Are you kidding me? So he goes, okay, grabs his family, goes out of Egypt and goes finding whatever this thing God was trying to lead him into. And he made some mistakes along the way. He decided to call his wife his sister. Not so good. Um, God promised that he would be a father of many nations and he wasn't able to have kids. And so he sort of went, hey God, like, do I need to do something about this? Hey Hagar, let's have a kid. Ishmael comes. Not a good idea. Um, but God in his grace allowed them to have kids later on and he, was, he is the father of many nations. Joseph. He gets this dream right at the beginning that all these 12 bushels are going to bow down to you. And then how does that happen? Well, he has to go into a pit. He has to be sold as a slave. He has to have all these accusations made against him that are false. And then he gets put in jail. And while he's in jail, by God's grace, he's elevated because of some words of prophecy into a position where he's looking after a lot of the kingdom in Egypt and then what happens the dream's fulfilled and you go wow what a journey what a journey I've been looking at the journey of Peter and I know I preached um, before I left about how God's discipleship and shaping of us it's with invitation come and see that Jesus is good and and Peter had that come and see come and see and Jesus wants to take you deeper And he has this invitation to draw you close. But he also challenges you. He also says, hey, you know what? You're a stumbling block for me, Peter. I'm going to even call you Satan. Pretty full on. I mean, there's no other name I'd want to be called. That's probably the worst name I'd want to be called. Satan. I mean, totally anti-Christ. Yeah, it's not a good name, is it? So he was challenged, but then... He was restored and you see, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. God restored Peter. And I've really been impacted by the whole journey and the whole life of Peter and trying to look at 
what's called the meta-narrative. So what's going on over the top of some of these stories rather than just in these stories? I used to watch um, Doctor Who when I was a kid um, and there was this big woolly-haired guy with his really long scarf and I'd kind of watch it as a kid and see... Daleks, you know, exterminate, exterminate. You're kind of like, yeah, all right, whatever. It's a bit nerdy, but I'll watch it anyway. Um, I sat down on Boxing Day and watched The Day of the Doctor. Sorry, are there any Doctor Who nerds here? Yeah, okay, we've got a few. Others are not so much. Sorry, just go with it for a second. I watched it and I went, wow, that episode, there's a lot more going on in Doctor Who than I give it credit. Like, there was marrying of seven different Doctor Whos into the one episode of 20 years of Doctor Whoism, and it kind of had all this intriguing sort of drama. So over my holidays, over the last four weeks, I've actually watched six seasons of Doctor Who. Yeah, I know, I know. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I've kind of been caught up, not just in the episodes, but kind of the whole strings of the meta-narrative that are going on, I'm seeing some head shakes. There's, there's a lot more going on than I gave it credit for. And it leads to all these massive conclusions. And I'm like, wow, the writers of Doctor Who are actually pretty cool. And, and then when I look at scripture, I go, well, is there other things going on that we aren't seeing necessarily, but if you take a step back and see the big picture of Peter's life, is there stuff going on? And I've got to go, yeah. There is. So, where do we first see Peter? John 1, we see Peter. So, his brother has an encounter with Jesus and then his brother comes to talk to, to, to Simon Peter. So, his name was Simon first. The two disciples um, heard him say this, um, that they should follow Jesus. So, these two disciples were disciples of John the Baptist and then they said, hey, John the Baptist said, he's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. And so these two guys just went, you little ripper, we're going to follow Jesus. So this is Andrew. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus and turning around, Jesus saw them following him and said, well, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, why, where are you staying? And he has this invitation, come, he replied, and you'll see. I love Jesus' invitation into discipleship. Come and see. So they, they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those two who heard that, um, what John um, had, to, um, had said, and they had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, so this is Simon Peter, and tell him, we have found Mashiach, we have found the one we're waiting for the King of Israel. We've found Messiah, that it will be the anointed one, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Isn't that a cool analogy? There's so much evangelism in this one, but we're not preaching about evangelism. He brought him to Jesus. and, And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas. So renames him on the spot, which can be translated as Peter or or rock. And he has a, an encounter with Jesus, and the first encounter he has, he instantly names him. He gives him a new name. And names are really important in the Bible. So he gives him this name, Rock, Cephas, 
It means rock. And we're like, okay, well, it's thief us, um, and it's Petra in the, um, in the Greek, which means it's like sort of little rock or little rocky. Um, Petros is meant like it's the nominative, which means it's the big rock. It's like a rock that's unchiseled un- by man. It's a big rock. Um, Petra is like a rock, a smaller rock. Um, and you will be Cephas, this rocky guy. So instantly he names him and he invites him into a relationship to become friends. So what, what I've been noticing is that that Jesus sometimes in this journey with Jesus, like Peter's been invited to become a mate with Jesus, become a friend. And he, he likes Jesus. He thinks Jesus is a good character. I think you talk to most people in, in the world, they think, oh, okay, Jesus is an okay guy. Whether they believe and live for him or not is another question. But most people think Jesus is okay. I mean, that Jesus is all about life campaign. They sort of went, we don't want to talk about church, we want to talk about Jesus because Jesus rates higher in people's minds than church stars. So, people tend to like Jesus. And a friend listens to Jesus. So, so Simon Peter would have listened to Jesus and listened to the rabbi, the teachings of Jesus, and seen where he slept and spent time with him. So, a friend kind of spends time with Jesus and he would have served Jesus' purposes. So, if they were going somewhere, he followed, followed Jesus. And if Jesus was going to teach somewhere, it actually says in Luke, like he gave him his boat to teach in. So he actually, Jesus was in Peter's boat and it pushed it out from shore so that everybody could hear and see him. So he served the purpose of Jesus, but he's been friends with Jesus. Then he does some more stuff with Peter as you walk through his life. He kind of goes, okay, Peter, I've renamed you and I've called you to be my disciple And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, do you want to be a fisher of men? So your trade is you're a fisherman. So I'm going to ask you, go out there in the water and you've been fishing all night, Luke 5, you've been fishing all night and what I'm going to ask you to do is chuck your nets on the other side and and draw them in again and see what happens. And so he's like, you know what, mate, you're a little teacher or maybe a builder or a carpenter. I'm a fisherman, okay? I know what I'm doing. You're telling me after I'm tired and I've been fishing all night that you want me to go out there again and fish and I'm going to find more fish. Like, just come with me for a bit. It's, it's defying his logic, okay? It's going against his grain. It's like me, I was a tree surgeon as a trade and if I had somebody who's an engineer come to me and try and tell me this is how you chop down a tree, I'd be like, look, mate, I've been doing this a long time. Alright? I know what I'm doing and I know how to do it. Okay? Just thanks but no thanks. But Jesus comes to him and says, go out again and throw your nets out. And I love this next part anyway. It says, but because you say so, I will. He submitted to Jesus and what Jesus said. He said, okay, I like you. I've heard you teach. And now you're inviting me into this experience where I have to submit to your logic and not my logic. I'll give it a go. Because you say so, I will. So he takes these boats out and they're about 24 foot by apparently 14 foot. So these are big boats and they have like really long 
um, sides and they start pulling in the nets and they have to call another mate to come over because there's so many fish in the nets. Isn't that Jesus? Like, and his whole boat is full of fish and Peter gets down on his knees in a boat full of fish. He might have even had fish up to his mouth. I don't know. He's like, all right, Jesus. All right. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you can do what you say you do. I'll trust you. I'll submit to you. And then he says, I'm going to make you a fisher for people. So he knew his skill. He knew he was a trader. He knew he was a fisherman. And I'm going to use that skill to reach people. He was invited to go the next step. In another way, he was invited to go the next step was when Jesus was out on the water and the guys were in a boat on their own and they saw Jesus, didn't they? Now, when we see this story, we kind of, I kind of think of the flannel graph kind of story picture of Peter walking on water, like it's really still and it's kind of like, you know, like, and it's like little ripples that sort of come out from his feet and it's like, oh, isn't that cute? It's almost like he's wearing big polystyrene shoes and he can just sort of like float on top. But we've got to be honest, there was a storm when this was happening. Peter is a tradesman, a fisherman. He's a hard nut and he's out there and they're starting to be afraid and they see an apparition in the midst of a storm and they don't know what it is. They're freaked out by these tales of ghosts and mermaids and whatever else and all this, all this anthology and mythology and they're like, what's going on? And imagine Jesus, man, walking on, like he must have been climbing up big like waves and like sliding down them. But it would have been massive, right? Like it's not like, boom, doing this. This is full on waves. And then Peter says, Lord, if that is you, tell me to come to you on the water. So the first time he saw Jesus perform a miracle, because you say so, I will. Now out of the 12, he's got the guts enough to say, hey Jesus, if that is you, invite me to come onto the water with you. How many times have you asked Jesus to step out of your boat and walk on the water with him? The boat's comfortable, isn't it? The boat's predictable. It's within our own ability, okay, as a tradesman. It's, it's your craft. And yet Jesus, like Peter, asks Jesus, call me out upon the water. The great unknown, the feet may fail. Yeah, like call me out there. And, and he does. And he gets to walk on water. He gets to defy the laws of gravity and nature. How insane is that? How many here have defied the laws of gravity? Not I. Peter got to. Because he's brave enough to ask Jesus, if that's you, call me out upon the water. And he got to do it. And Jesus invited him and said, come. You see where I'm going here? As a follower of Jesus, he was not just a friend who liked Jesus. He was a follower who submitted to the teachings of Jesus And then he submitted his education, his trade, his background, all his skills, his traditions. And he actually was brave enough to go, I think you are who you say you are. 
call me out on the water. He started to go this next step with Jesus. Like, he wasn't just a friend who liked Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He learned his teachings and was putting them into practice. Even calling Jesus to say, hey, if it is true, if that is you, call me out. And then we had this really hardcore teaching that Peter is invited into. He actually says, Jesus says, who are people saying I am? And they go, well, some say you're a prophet and, and others you're Elijah. And he goes, no, 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 who do you say I am? And the only one brave enough to reply to that is Simon Peter. And he says, you know, you are the Christ, you are Jesus, um, the Son of the living God. And he goes, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh, but by my Father in heaven. Now, what I want you to see with this is that there's a family Jesus is a part of. And what he's showing here is the fact that Jesus Christ is God is a revelation of the family. It's a revelation of the Father and his place in the kingdom of God. Jesus is, is the Son of God, but Jesus is in a greater Trinitarian relationship. Remember how we talked about the Trinitarian reality? He's in this reality that Peter is invited into, into becoming a part of the family of God. And how do you become a part of the family? You've got to recognise that Jesus is God and live for him. And then he goes, you know what? I'm going to change your trade. I, I did say you are going to be a fisher of men, but now I'm telling you something different. I'm going to make you a builder. I want you to build my church. And we know, you know how we talk about Jesus' trade? Um, how it talks about Jesus as a carpenter? Well, the, tra- the word actually is, it means actually builder. He's Jesus' trade. Like Joseph was a builder. And when they build houses in the first century, what did they build them out of? Come on. Guess. Rocks. Stones. Yeah. They, they touched wood. They would have used some wood, absolutely. But these things were made out of rock. And he was a builder. And then... Jesus, as a part of the family, is going, I want you to build my church. Did Peter get that revelation? Absolutely. Because as good Baptist believers, we've memorised 1 Peter 2 and we said we are living stones built upon, we are the priesthood of believers, living stones built upon the capstone and the cornerstone who is Jesus. He got it. His first sermon he preached, 5,000 came to faith in Acts. And then when he's standing before the Sanhedrin, he actually reminds them about a prophecy in Isaiah. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone. Same word, same meaning. Capstone is the stone on the top. The cornerstone is the, the stone on the bottom. That's the same word in Greek. And you know what Jesus is? The beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. How 
awesome is that? How awesome is that? A builder is telling tradie terms that Jesus, he will be our beginning, he will be our end, and he is he's trying to build a house, living stones by you and me, on the one that was rejected. And Peter, I want you to build my church. And this building is going to be so solid that even the gates of hell are going to shudder at the thought of this building being built. Even the gates of hell are not going to withstand it. You can actually pull things out of hell into the kingdom of God because this building, it's living, it's active and you're going to be calling other people to be stones in this building. Sorry, I'm starting to preach. But he had a hard thing that happened after this. In this same passage, he, um, Jesus pulls him aside and he goes, like Peter took him aside, Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him and saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Like, why are you going to go and, and die? And Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Why did he say that? Because you are a stumbling block. Cephas, you're a stumbling block to me. You're picking up the imagery? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of man. I think he was invited to get a bigger picture of the family. The Father gave him the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's starting to realise he's just not a tradie who fishes. He's a builder who builds for the family purposes, which is God wants temples, God wants people in his kingdom. And he doesn't care what he has to do as long as he gets to do it for the king. And I must confess, this is, this is like this next step with Peter. I, I've, I, what I've noticed from people who are mature in their walk with God is they might have gifts and abilities. And oh, Let's just talk about me, for instance. I, I know I can talk okay. <laughs> All right? I know that's okay for me. But am I at a place in my journey with Christ that I could say, you know what? You've given me, you've wired me this way that I can maybe communicate well, but you want me to welcome people on the front door. And you would just want me to shake people's hands and smile and let them know they're a part of the family of God and something bigger every Sunday morning. Part of me, inside of me, would go, well, God, you've gifted me with these gifts of speaking. Why wouldn't you want me there rather than there? But when you become part of a family, you start to realise it's not all about me. It's not. And you know what? As much as I might be able to do a better job than somebody else in my own mind, that's idolatry. I want to echo the words of David. If I could be a doorman in the house of the Lord, I want to do that. How? I would have so much joy. As long as who is I'm serving? God and God's purposes. And I start to think, you know what? All of us as living stones 
are doing things. And sometimes we think, hey God, if I were you, I've got these abilities, I want to be doing this. But when you start to get the bigger, grander picture of God, you go, I'll play whatever part you want. I'll do whatever it is you want, Lord. I don't even care. It could be cleaning toilets, it could be walking the streets and just talking to people. Anything you want, Lord, I'm letting it all go to serve your family mission of building your church. I wonder where you're at this morning. This is where I'm coming to with the life of Peter. Where are you at? Do you like Jesus? Yeah, we all like Jesus. He's pretty cool. Do you think, yeah, I could maybe serve him a little bit? Yeah. Do you want to submit completely to him? A follower submits completely to Jesus. He just says, you know what? I'm going to serve you with everything I have. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to use your logic instead of my logic. I'm going to go hard after you. But then if you want to go into the family, like if you're just a follower and you're serving the Lord with your strength and your ability, that's great. You want to go deeper in your journey with God? Even surrender your own gifts and abilities. See what he wants you to do. I think he's going to craft you in the family trade. He's going to show you what it's like to to build the kingdom of God that the gates of hell cannot overcome. You could do things that job description isn't even existing for. Be a wandering alien traveller in a Winnebago and just go wherever the Lord leads you. How cool would that be? Just serving whoever God brings across your path. Just being a part of the family of God, listening to the Father. Because I see whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. How much? Daily. And follow me. I've got the wrong version there. That's alright. And whoever wants to find their life has got to lose it. And the process of discipleship is not holding on to things, it's letting go of things and letting God take you deeper. I want to be able to say what what Peter said in his first message. In Acts 3 it says, you know, he saw these guys as he went up to the, I know some of you guys probably heard this sermon last week, but as he was going to Jerusalem to preach to the synagogue and share his faith, he saw a beggar outside who'd been carried and left there every day and he asked him for arms. Peter and John gave him legs. They go, silver and gold, I don't have that. What I do have, I can give to you. In the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. What did he say he had? Nothing. Whoever loses their life for my sake finds it. Journey of discipleship, it's it's hard. It's really hard. The minute we think we've got it figured, I think it's the minute that we lose our track and we lose our way. And we kind of think, you know what, God's going to like me when I'm this vase that's been in the kiln and all shaped and all nice. What I realised is he actually enjoys the process of making us. He enjoys the process of spinning the wheel and crafting us. And we think we know what end result he's going to be making. 
And he has something totally different in mind sometimes than what we think he's going to be doing. And there's some crusty bits that he's got to break up a little bit. There's some stumbling blocks that he's got to go, you know what, I might have to break that so that you're not crushed later. You know that passage? I've got to break this in you. Uh, you might you might call his best mate Satan. Yeah? Uh, but I'm doing it for this grand purpose of just shaping and forming you to becoming an instrument to hold my glory, to reflect Jesus to the world. I wonder where you're at in your journey with Jesus. I think I want to put before you this morning, there's more for you. If you're comfortable, I kind of want you to think uncomfortably this morning. There's more for you in Jesus. He's still happy with you. He's still really glad with where you've come. But he wants to tell you there's more. There's more in the family business for you. There's more. Do you dare ask to call me out onto the water? Do you dare ask him, Jesus, if that's you, call me out on the water? Do you dare sit under the rebuke of Jesus and and be challenged by his discipleship? Because I'd like to say what he says here. The same Sanhedrin that, that condemned Jesus to death, Peter and John were pulled before after preaching this amazing message in Acts. And filled with courage and boldness, listen to what Peter says. You know this guy we healed? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now get this, this is 50 days later. Jesus was standing before these guys and they condemned him to death and Jesus was silent like a lamb before them. And 50 days later, Peter, his follower, his builder, is standing before these same blokes, not afraid. He'd seen the resurrected Jesus. He is filled with the power and the Spirit of God He's holding on to nothing else but the name of Jesus in his life. Jesus has been stripping him back. He called him Satan. He denied him. But Jesus restored him. It's the gospel in action. And he's standing there before these guys. And he says, you guys crucified this Jesus. And it's the same Jesus that healed this man. What courage. What boldness. What Anyway, and God raised him from the dead. This man stands before you healed. And Jesus is what? The stone you builders rejected. He personalized this prophecy in Isaiah and he made these guys the ones who rejected the cornerstone. You guys rejected him. But God brought him back to life. And in his name... I said, pick up the mat and walk. And this guy's dancing in front of everybody. I tell you what, I'd like God to strip me back. I don't say that lightly. Imagine if he strips you back and the only thing you're left holding on to is the name of Jesus. I want to say, look out world. That'll be the kind of church that the gates of hell will tremble at the sight of. Won't it? 
people just grabbing a hold of Jesus, walking with him through hard things, through great things and reflecting him in the community. What has God got for your journey? For 2014, God willing, what time have you got left? I want to tell you this morning, he wants to take you deeper. Are you ready for it? couple of you. Are you ready for it? Yeah? Do you want him to? Could be hard. Do you want him to? Is he worth it? Is his name worth it? Is Jesus worth it? He is. Then go where only dead people can go. Pick up your cross. Follow him. And let's see what the kingdom of God's going to do here in Blackheath, eh? We need to be able to do that. Holding on to nothing but the name of Jesus. Going where only dead people can go. Resurrected people can go. And build the kingdom of God. If you want it, I want you to stand with me this morning. If you want that, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we just want to, in this moment, surrender our lives to whatever purposes and promises you have for us. Some objects you fashion for ornamental beauty, but others you have other purposes for. And Lord, for some of us, Lord, we're, we're trying to tell you what purpose you've made us for. But I pray, Lord, that we'd surrender to your purpose of what you've made us for. And as you're shaping us, you take us deeper that we might reflect your glory more. You are our cornerstone and our capstone. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And Jesus, we just totally surrender to you. All of our plans, our, our, our promises, all of that, Lord, that obligations, we just want to lay them all before you. We want to lay before you even our giftedness and our education our tradition, our family even. Jesus, it reminds us that, that you said, I don't have a father and mother. and Those of my family are in front of me. That's, that's really hard when you taught that. But God, I, I pray that you would deepen our revelation and you deepen our journey with you with however long you give us breath. So we commission ourselves to being living stones today, built upon you and your name. Amen.